So, why do you why do you want to do this interview, Kirsten? Well, I actually was approached by my PR company about the project that you were doing. Right. And right. usually they spend a lot of time thinking about what they pass on to me that be worth my time because they know yeah. I'm trying to shuffle a lot of different things in my life um, because I'm also a mom and my husband's a filmmaker. And so being a CEO married to a filmmaker with two kids is a really you know interesting lifestyle that yeah. I love. But I'm very thoughtful about how I spend my time and, and what interviews I do give. And so reading a little bit about you and what I knew about why you were doing this book, I was intrigued to know how the work that I do with women around the world might fit into this concept of okay. being a world changer and, and empowering people in different cultures, being a part of this idea of how business can be transforming in a really positive way and that maybe what I was a part of with Raven Lily might be an interesting balance to the story that you were wanting to tell. So okay. I was curious about that and thought it would be worth exploring to see if it was the right fit for what you were, you know, wanting to, to okay. tell. Okay. Yeah. Um, if I, um, my reason for contacting yourselves is sometimes I get like, if I interview you, you might after the interview say, do you know what? I know, I know three people you've really got to talk to and you do yeah. the introductions. That's it's mm -hmm. snowballing. Absolutely. The other way I find people is that I read something and I read about your work, um, you know, in, in our house, you're known as the, you're known as the bullet girl, because um, I read the thing about what was happening about the women in Africa, you know, melting the shells and making beads, and now you're selling the jewellery. And I, why I approached you was because I read that, and I thought, that's somebody who thinks differently. Mm -hmm. Now, it may or may not ex transpire that that's the case, but sometimes it's the person... But sometimes it's the idea that they've had that makes me think, hang on a minute, I think they might fit. Mm -hmm. And there have been instances, not many, where it hasn't worked out. Like I interviewed the CEO of Gold Corp mm -hmm. and then turned around and said, sorry, I don't think you fit. Yeah, But he agreed. Yeah, yeah, so have to do that. Okay, so how would you define a maverick? Remember, the whole thing is about business mavericks. I definitely think a maverick is someone who is thinking outside of the box, mm -hmm. who's passionate about what they do, but has a big picture in mind about where they're going and why they're heading in that direction because they have an end goal that would result in some impact or change. Okay. And so for me, it's, it's about making a positive impact in the world through the purchasing power of consumers in the West by connecting them to impoverished communities that would thrive because of business opportunity, but they can't succeed without that connection to the customers and consumers that have money to purchase the products that they would be making through okay. business opportunities that I give them. So I like to think of it as an opportunity to make connections on both ends in regards to what would that mean for me, empowering consumers to make a positive impact on the world through their purchasing power, both in the planet and in people. And then empowering women to rise and break out of poverty with dignity and hope because they are being given the opportunity to have sustainable income generating jobs using skills okay. that they have been trained in, but in a new way using unique designs that come under our label and help them take what they've learned to the next level within okay. the context of what they already know and what uh, materials they already have access to and the support system they're already connected to. 
So why do you think you're a maverick? Why do I think I'm a maverick? <laughs> That's so funny. I, I have never called myself a maverick, but I tend to not. I am a CEO. I am the founder of the company, but I don't actually you know, function on a day-to-day basis thinking in business terms like that. I really am just driven by helping this company grow to achieve my end goal of empowering, you know, first and foremost, these women, over a thousand women right now that I'm helping to employ in six different countries and 13 artisan partnerships all over the world, including America. How many women did you say? Over a thousand. Wow. Okay. So, and that number keeps growing each time we launch a new collection because behind the scenes, I've been working with a new artisan group to develop a new um, collection for us that would complement our existing collections but would be launched at a different time in the year so that as we launch, that number grows, and then as we grow, more women within each partnership are employed. Wonderful. In yeah. So oh. it started with that Ethiopia one that you read about. Yeah, yeah. It was just the beginning idea of what I wanted to do to come alongside multiple groups that I knew all over the world through my background in nonprofit work and film work with my husband. And I kept seeing that trend of skills training and micro enterprise loans and, you know, specifically started seeing a lot of women trained in design. This is like in um, 2007 and they just had basic skills, you know, sewing, embroidery, block printing, jewelry making, and we're all making the same thing and all just selling it locally pretty cheaply, but it was a start and usually it was connected to a nonprofit effort. And so I loved the idea, but there was a phase two there that was missing. Yeah. And that was the market and design input. And that was what I had access to being from the West yeah. and having a design background because of my husband. I did a lot of um, art direction and styling for his film projects okay. and his career. Okay. So I kind of, and I've been a director of different nonprofits. So I kind of like had to just switch the rotation of my leadership hat to be figure out what would it look like to to start a business that would help that level to emerge with these women who had learned these skills to turn it into something sustainable and okay. not a charity model, but, you know, dignity and business-oriented and ongoing. And so Wonderful. it was like <laughs> Wonderful. I'm thrilled to be able to, you know, just learn all this from you. Great. The London School of Economics developed a maverickism scale. I'm going to give you seven statements, and you just need to say, true, false, can't decide. Okay. People tell me that I'm a maverick, or words to that effect. True. I have a knack for getting things right when least expected. True. I have a way of solving problems which is different from other people. True. I'm much more productive than other people. Very. <laughs> I have very unusual talents. True. I am generally underestimated by people. Very true, as a woman. I do things differently and better than most people when I work. I don't like answering that, but true. I don't like. <laughs> is it? Is it that? Hang on. Let me. Can I just answer? Is it, can I ask you? Is it because if I asked you, I do things differently? I'm okay answering yeah, that. It's the better bit, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know what? I'm going to give this feedback to the people who designed this questionnaire because everybody I've interviewed isn't comfortable with saying they're better. So mm-hmm. I need, I'm going to give them that free feedback. Yeah, I think it's not. I mean, I think they're, uh, yeah, I think better is 
can can have a connotation that yeah. isn't what I'm meaning Means to say when sense. I answer yeah. that. Completely. I get that. Why do you do things differently, Kirsten? Hmm. I have never wanted to do what other people do just as a matter of how I live. So whether that's how I'm dressing or, um, you know, I, I went to a school that was a university that was pretty conservative Mm -hmm. and my junior year, I say I busted out of the bubble there. And that's when I decided to take, do the first program they offered to study in Africa. And I did Mm -hmm. that. And then I decided to take a year off and live overseas after the Iron Curtain fell and do a year of working with students in the former Soviet Union. Okay. And then the day after I graduated from college, I decided to go to India and volunteer with Mother Teresa and other nonprofits. And nobody was doing that at the time. It's really interesting that um, a lot of college students and others have access to global studies and travel. And I love that because those experiences were really unique. None of my other friends did anything like that. And it meant... But I had this like drive inside to want to see more of the world and explore and just not conform. And so I don't really know why that is or where that came from and not in a rebellious way. So I've never been uh, rebellious in regards to like lifestyle party wise, but always marched to the beat of my own drum. Wonderful. uh, But I came from a very conservative suburban upbringing. So it was really unusual. Mm. That was the choices I started making in college and beyond. And my husband's from California. He marches to the beat of his own drum in college. No one would have put us together. We were really good friends, but, um, and he was really unusual to go to the university I went to. But uh, after college, he picked me up from the airport when I was returning from India and he was on his way to NYU film school. And we decided to hang out for a couple of days and catch up on life. I was on my way to do an, uh, an, an internship with an inner city mission that worked with the homeless. And he was on his way to NYU film. And we had decided we should never date. You're going to be a filmmaker. I'm going to do nonprofit work. Those things don't go together. And we totally fell in love in those few days. Oh, wow. And then I know got married a couple of months later and then ended up moving to Northern California to launch his film career shortly after that. And so it was a, he had was given a job kind of right away. And so it's been really interesting, but I, you know, we have moved 10 times in our marriage of 17 years and it's okay. We're both okay with that. So I think we're both wired and we work well yeah. as a partner. Yeah. I couldn't be the CEO of a company without him. So I mentioned all that because I feel like what I've learned is having, I don't have a lot of support of other people because I think that tends to come when you're a leader, Yeah. but I have it for my husband and yeah. it, it, it really helps because he, he knows me, understands me, he knows why I think differently, why I want to do things differently and has absolutely supported those choices when there's been controversy yeah. or questioning of everybody around me. He hasn't given up and so he's been able to stay by my side with this vision of, of wanting to do this for these women and, and helped me believe in it to see the end result of what could happen when really nobody else did. And I so, know women like us, it's really funny. First of all, you're in. You're definitely in. Okay. Secondly, yeah, women like us, we need that. Our stories are so similar. Mm-hmm. I met my boyfriend um, trekking in Morocco on the back of a camel. He was gone on a trip. I had gone on this we're both explorers. We're getting married in November. You'll be getting an invite because all the Mavericks are getting invited. Um, uh, and we're going to Bhutan because 
Because in Bhutan, they measure GDP in gross national happiness. And I think we'd only been going out a, a little while. And he handed me this Wanderlust magazine that uh-huh. said... Um, and he said to me, oh, you should live in Bhutan because that's how you see the world. And I realised, hang on a minute. I mean, I'm like this. I am the crazy, rebellious, snowboarding, tequila slamming chick, OK? <laughs> then there's my boyfriend who's this really conservative, posh family, public school kind of golf-playing family, okay? <laughs> and if you had put us together, you would have... In a million years, you would never put me and him together. My friend's reaction when I first met him was when he walked out of the room, they went, what are you thinking? He doesn't <laughs> even dress like us. And you know what? We've been so solid and so good for each other. We moved to Vancouver last year. I gave up my job in London and I I just had to write my thesis. But the thesis took me in a totally different direction. And I haven't earned earned any money for 18 months because this is all I'm doing. And he's just turned around and said, fly. Mm -hmm. You're on to something. I'm totally behind you. What you need sometimes, right? I mean, I just I have that kind of a partner in life that I'm so thankful for. I'm so thankful. I could not do this without without Charlie Mark in my life. Yeah, so, I, I understand what that means. And, so. to the, and to the extent that he'll say, oh, I hope you get on okay with your interview today. You're interviewing Bullet Girl today, aren't you? He'll know exactly <laughs> who it is. So he, you know, and you, when you sit at home and you're doing this around the world, you really need that support. So yeah. I just wanted to let you know that we're on the same frequency. So I'll come back to the interview <laughs> now. <laughs> so... My next question was, and I think you've kind of answered it, but I'm going to ask you in case there's anything you want to add, was could you give me an example of what you do differently and how? You've given me some examples from your Mm. background and how you got here, but what about an example from business? What do you do differently? Well, I think what's really interesting about my story is because my background was mostly in non-profit work, Mm -hmm. I actually started Raven Lily in 2008 as a non-profit. Right. You were to that uh, 2008 to 2011 a nonprofit because that's the world I knew. Okay. But as I was researching, you know, reading a lot from Muhammad Yunus, looking at models of um, a few other emerging companies, I could not find an example anywhere of what I wanted to do, which was be, um, you know, really high end, um, really focused on the social impact but um, not a charity model, and um, but still somehow function as a nonprofit because it was like explaining the heart of what we do. But the more and more research I did, I realized that if I would take that big step into a social business model, which was new, we're actually now officially a B Corp and we're certified as a B Corp, which really defines a social business now in America. And um, so that's been really great to find a model that as, is a for-profit that explains the social focus that we have. But, you know, tangibly, I just had to make that switch because I really felt like long-term, if I'm in this and I really want to empower women and I want to empower them to have businesses that would thrive within each community where we're working that weren't dependent upon me, but would really rise the occasion to be a sustainable business, I had to break out of any kind of charity model relationship with them so that was really how I had to think differently because it meant plowing a lot of ground that hadn't been done yet and so when we were making that move 
I would interview a lot of fair trade companies that I knew. I had people from 10,000 Villages on my board and advisors from different nonprofits and different businesses. Most people were saying, you need to either just focus on being eco-friendly or you just need to focus on being fair trade or, um, you know, I really don't understand how you can be a for-profit and still, you know, do this impact. But the more and more studying I did, I saw that, I didn't necessarily have to compromise anything that was important no, to me. and the thing is, it's somebody who thinks inside a box that would say that all mm-hmm. of the... You know, when somebody says to... Like, even on Facebook, if somebody puts up, shall I do this or shall I do that? My reaction is always, why not both? Yeah, that's how I thought. And yeah. So I said, I don't agree. We're just going to agree and not agree with all the input I see. And I'm going to go through with what my gut feeling is, is that I can develop designs that reflect the beauty and the culture of the women who made them that honor both people and the planet and will sell by themselves without somebody even knowing that they are eco-friendly and fair trade. The design has to be so well done Mm -hmm. that it has to sell for itself. So some people wanted me to sew heavy work on the story up front. But when we launched, I told the story, but I was careful not to push it before the designs because I knew to be sustainable that these, I would have to be a legitimate mainstream design company. Yep. Yep. And we started with just jewelry and a few accessories, but now we're becoming a full apparel company with everything from apparel to bags to accessories, jewelry, and gifts. It's everything. And we'll eventually start to do home decor and then eventually branch out potentially even into other things like children's wear and other things, but, you know, down the road. What I'm going to do is when I'm scribbling... Yep. They're, they're the people I've already interviewed that I think you need to be having a conversation with. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Sounds good. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, the whole company in its essence is pulling from a lot of different ideas that I was seeing happening, you know, between 2007 and 2011 about the idea of fair trade, direct trade, being eco-friendly. As, but, it, you know, eco-friendly ideas were really starting to take off more. But the idea of fair trade fashion was not very common where we are. And we found the ethical fashion form in London. Mm. And it was in its early stages when I launched the company. And we became members just at the very beginning of it. Now we're founding partners as a part of the ethical fashion forum. Okay. We're one of the few like American companies that have been very involved. Most of their contacts are still in Europe. They're globally based, but most everything happens in London. Okay. But I felt like seeing what they were doing was the direction that fashion had to to, to head. It had yeah. to be, there had to be this movement towards ethical fashion. And we want, I wanted to, I wanted to be one of the few companies in America that was really plowing headfirst into what that would mean. And then hopefully inspiring other people with their own ideas and connections to create their own companies. I've mentored tons of emerging designers and companies behind the scenes that have an idea and don't know what to do. You know, like, okay. what are my first steps? Where do I go? Yeah. But yeah. I want them to do their own thing. Yeah. Like to me, the only way it's sustainable is if everybody does it differently and, yeah. and does yeah. their own thing following this general idea of sustainable social business. Okay. So I've got somebody who's in, well, actually be in South Africa who runs an accessory company. So I'm going to connect you with her. There's two people I haven't yet interviewed but they're already scheduled. One's a guy who you well, you're going to love him. His name's Mike Dixon, and he goes into businesses and helps them to be more philanthropic. Oh. He's the guy behind, I don't know if you know, but there's a children's charity in London called WizKids, and they provide disability equipment to children. And oh. he was the brains behind set that up. 
Mm. And um, I'm interviewing another gentleman in about two weeks' time called Robin Smith, who happens to um, be the guy who set up Host Universal to work with Anita Roddick in being ethical. Okay. So there's a couple of people I'm going to connect because one of the things that's come out so far from this work is that people are like the you know nobody knows who these mavericks are and you do so eventually I, at the end of the interview I'll tell you what I'm going to do with all this but okay. one of the things I'm doing is like Mike Dixon he just he wrote a book you're gonna you've got to read his book okay it's called um, Please Take One How to Live a More Generous Life. Oh, and it tells you a story. It tells you about um, it tells you about the micro loan guy, Muhammad Yunus. It tells you about Mother Teresa. I think it's a book that you would love. It's just yeah. all about the type of people you've probably wanted to work with or have worked with. Okay, I keep going off on tangents, but it's just that if I miss this opportunity to tell yeah. you, I'm going to forget. No problem. Is what you do equated to the bottom line or something else? I would say um, it's equated to the triple bottom line. Okay. So I absolutely care about being profitable, but yeah. I want to be profitable because the more profitable I am, that means the more women are being employed. Okay. So okay. dignity and opportunity to provide for themselves and their family. And But um, equal importance is how I'm designing things, that they're honoring the planet with the eco- our eco-friendly green practices, as well as the people, the women involved. Um, so it's people, profit, and planet. And the people are always the women um, in our design, in our artists and partnerships okay. all over the world and how they're being treated and how they're being employed and what their needs are and then how our partnership can be a part of um, making a difference in the their lives but in their whole communities and how employment is actually transforming. I've already seen results of it. Whole communities where we're working has been really phenomenal to witness just in this short amount of time. Okay. Is any part of being a maverick to do with autonomy over your life? What do you mean by that? Autonomy is the concept of I have control over my life. Like, for example, it's if you worked for somebody, if you did had a different path, you might have to be in the office nine till five. But having autonomy <laughs> means I can. Auto- I have autonomy. I can get up and I can interview somebody in my pajamas. I can get up when I like. No, I, I can fit the I, children around my I, life. For somebody else, and neither has my husband. Neither one of us would know what to do with that. Like, okay. We, it's just not even an option, really. Right. Okay. I've been mentored by other people, and I've done internships. But as far as working, I've always been in some sort of leadership position. Okay. okay. And um, with Raven and Lily, I early on had a, a design team of volunteers the first year when we were a nonprofit trying to know what to do in Los Angeles. Um, and they were wonderful and gave so much of their time and, and skills to help. But in the end it was really clear that I just needed to decide to move forward as the leader of this. And I had a partner that came alongside me. Her name was Sophia. She was more behind the scenes and we started Raven Lily together. And then now it's just me. So eventually she rolled off, but um, she was really significant in the early stages of of partnering with me because I liked having a sounding board. Yes. And I think the the thing is, it's about another way of putting it is, is any part of being a maverick to do having control over your own working life and your whole life and balancing Right, gotcha. Yes, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't, I couldn't do this for somebody else, and I wouldn't be interested, I wouldn't be, like, I wouldn't be looking for such a job for any other company. Yeah, fair Mm -hmm. enough, that makes sense. Yeah. 
It would only be for what I want, the vision that I have. My yeah. husband thinks the same way. Like, yeah. As a filmmaker, he's an independent filmmaker, mostly for that very reason. I mean, he does take other jobs sometimes for pretty big, giant companies, but he prefers to be able to have control. Okay. So I think both of us are wired yeah, that way. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I've been walking around the house going, I could never work for anybody else again in my life. Now well, I've had this. Today, I just said, I'm going to work from exactly. my interviews. My kids aren't back in school yet. and They're upstairs hanging out while I can talk to you. And I wouldn't, yeah, I can do that. because, And I liked being able to decide that yeah. because, you yeah. know. Okay. Does yeah. doing things differently require certain skills, talents, mindsets? And if so, what are they? A lot of things differently, yes. I think what I've realized for me is... Um, I have learned that it's kind of a funny balance, but I've learned that I've had to build up a tougher skin. So I tend to be a very sensitive person, which I think has its benefits, um, as a woman leader, because I'm really in tune with how my team is doing around me and I'm driven because of my sensitivity towards the needs of these women in our partnerships. Cause I've visited them so many times. I know firsthand the oppression and poverty they face and it, it has, you know, really driven me to want to, um, you know, make a difference in their life. But, um, with that, I also, you know, I'm too sensitive sometimes to, uh, criticism or input or that sort of thing early on when I started this company and I, and, um, and also opinions of people being a female leader and that sort of thing. So, I've had to learn the hard way to figure out how to balance that sensitivity to be who I am, but to gain a sensitive skin while being able to listen to the input of others, to welcome collaboration, but at the end of the day, still not compromise what I know is the mission and the value of the company. So that's been, I would say, an on-the-job training course and how to lead that way, how um, to not just dictate, but to be open to the collaborative effort while still being at the the helm of leadership. And what are the challenges to being a maverick? Mm -hmm. Apart from having to have tough skin. Yeah. Um, For me, the biggest challenges have been, um, you know, I think being sometimes misunderstood. um, And it, you know, definitely... They say it's lonely at the top, and I think I understand what that means more now as the company is growing. So relationships have changed somewhat in order to be able – I've had to just make choices that as a CEO, what's most important for Raven and Lily, and sometimes that's not going to always be in favor of some of the people that I've hired or I've worked with, and it doesn't mean I don't value them or – value their skills, what they've contributed. But if, if what they want isn't in tune with what I believe is best for the company, those are some really, really challenging, you know, decisions that I've had to make that, that have been really, really difficult as the leader of the company, but I felt have, you know, really helped me, um, to grow the company because I've had to choose, you know, always keeping in mind the greater whole, but in the end, what is going to make this company succeed and thrive. And I, I've honestly welcomed um, some fantastic mentors into my life. So I have some very, very successful mentors in the business world that um, are some are in fashion, some are in just um, consumer product goods areas, some are CFOs, some are you know also CEOs that are 
very far along in their success that have taken the time okay. these past, this past year and a half to be available okay. to really um, mentor me and guide me in how to, to grow this company. And I think having them and, and learning from them that, you know, these kind of tough choices you have to make as the, the helm of a company are necessary and learning from them and, and being okay with mistakes. Mm-hmm. I think it's the other thing I've had to learn. It's that I do not give up to when I make a mistake to acknowledge it, to work through it, um, you know, whatever it might be, but to not give up and to yeah. keep going. And so I think that's been the other big part of being, you know, a maverick or a leader of a business like this okay. institute to do that. What's been your lowest point of the journey as a maverick? Two things, actually. But uh, one of the lowest points was when early on, um, I can't really go into detail about it, but there were some um, men that I thought were really supportive of the company that were going to help with our early kind of stages. And in the end, I came to realize they really didn't believe in me as a female leader. And um, it it was the first time that I had faced, like, real discrimination for being a female. And it gave me a glimpse as to what the women faced in the partnerships that yes. I advocate for. And I, I honestly, in my whole life, realized I'd never had that happen to me. Mm-hmm. I'd never been through that kind of gender discrimination. And it was hurtful and shocking and I thankfully had a great female lawyer and another, a few other really great men that really did believe in what I were doing that were able to help me work through that, mm-hmm. that time. But it was really low for me because I think I, I had just not, and it really, to me felt like it was, it was because they just didn't know how to trust a female in yeah. leadership. Yeah. So I think it was like personal, but it was also, I think that reality of how women are treated, Yeah. that, that was like, I just got that inside taste that just gave me that kind of gut feeling because I work with so many women that are in these um, really conservative atmospheres where they are not educated. They're not even allowed to leave the home sometimes. And our partnerships have given them so much status within their communities and yeah. the way that women are viewed within these communities where we work because of the money they're earning. Exactly. Absolutely wonderful to see that happening. And I, at that stage when I was feeling that, I think it motivated me to not give up to not listen to their opinions and to really keep going because I really believed that I needed to move past this and believe on behalf of the women yeah. who I was advocating for that if they're facing this, I can get through this, this as well. and yeah. in the end can see me thrive as well as them thrive, you know, through our work. So okay. that, that was a low. And the other low would be, I think, like I mentioned, just, you know, relationally, um, relationships change as the company's growing and expanding yeah. and succeeding and you see different sides of different people and I think that's because of my um you know sensitive side I'm I I don't like those changes sometimes yeah. but they've become necessary and it's part of the process yes. but it's, it's hard it's a hard thing I've worked through on a regular basis because I really want to do the best for everybody involved in my company whether they're on my team they're a partner or a customer I'm always thinking about all the stakeholders involved okay what aspects of your personality or character influence your Maverick approach? Um, I would say I'm extremely driven and um, definitely a visionary. Mm-hmm. And I am extremely productive. And right. so I 
very quickly and efficiently get things done. (laughs) But, you know, as the company is growing and I have more team members, I'm learning to transfer that onto empowering them to use their gifts and skills to carry out that vision. So at the early stages, I had to do it all. It, you know, as we've grown, that's absolutely impossible and honestly a relief mm. in some ways to be able to find people that are talented and to be able to empower them to use their gifts and skills to a- achieve that vision. Oh, completely. I think one of the biggest skills any leader can have is um, the art of delegation. Mm-hmm. It's an art, yes. It is an art of delegation. And, and honestly, that's been the art of like knowing you know, really when I see somebody with a gift or talent, like grabbing them and pulling them in to be a part of this company. And then also having to be honest when I see that it's not the right fit and, and quickly releasing them and with the most respect and and honor as possible. But I'm really, we're a small team and I want to keep it as lean as possible for just, you know, the integrity of our company because we're a social business, but those key people absolutely need to be working on their talents, passionate about what they're doing driven and really thriving in their own roles and so when I see that not happening I really am quick to evaluate what can we change or is this just not a right fit so because otherwise I start to want to micromanage and I don't want to do that (laughs) so as soon as I like can tell that's kicking in is when I usually stop and we have to like evaluate what's happening here you know within this role of somebody that I've hired so okay are you born or bred a maverick I would say it probably depends, but I think born, and I actually think that there are a lot of people that just have not been given the opportunity to to thrive in that role that are really natural born leaders just because they haven't been given, the circumstances of their life haven't given them the chance to really discover that, but I definitely think I have a... a just it's in my it's wired in my nature okay to dream big to be a leader and to do it I my parents are no longer living and I would they weren't super involved and really didn't have any say in any of the choices I've made so that's where it's not really come from them I've always been driven since I went to school like in I can second grade on I can kind of have that I I know how I was thinking and how I was wired at a really young age okay it's very internal for me yeah no that makes sense do you think your childhood in any way impacted on you being a maverick? Because yeah. you're you're a leader, and I get that. But you're also when you're talking about it, you don't you don't do it like everybody else. So um, yes, you know, any- I, no, I actually I've been thinking about that more lately, really, and I I've been trying to like kind of figure out how has my childhood affected this, and you know what it is is that I without going into too many details, I actually had to learn to be pretty independent when mm-hmm. I was young. So I think having this kind of natural like leadership ability, right. but I had a curiosity since I was very, very young about the world and wanting right. to travel and see other cultures since I was, you know, like second, third grade, like I mentioned, like when we would have to do our coat of arms, your lifelong goal, I would always put something like travel the world. And okay. I'm in like a Texas suburban community and nobody else is putting that on their coat of arms. Right, okay, that makes sense. That was there, you know, yeah. like I wanted that. And um, I, but I think because I didn't have a strong attachment to my family, I've always 
been okay yeah. with traveling without experiencing any kind of homesickness yeah. or so that, that I think that's how my childhood has influenced me. It's yeah. not that I didn't love my parents yeah. or appreciate, but they weren't involved in my life in that way. Right. And I just didn't have strong attachments at mm-hmm. all. So it, it's foreign to me when I see it in other people. And I'm, we're trying to develop that in our family, you know, like mm-hmm. roots and that sense of belonging and that no matter where we live, we are a unit and we have each other and we're good. And I think that my kids believe that and my husband and we're good. So it's not dependent upon a place. It's much more dependent upon home as us as a family yeah. unit. But I think I learned that as a kid Good. that it's possible to do that. And okay. yeah, I think that's why in college I was just so quick to want to start exploring and never thought batted an eye about it. Was just ready to go anywhere. I was given the opportunity to go. Okay. Because okay. I had that kind of free spirit in me and, and no attachments. So my okay. childhood left me with that, not very many attachments. Yeah. I've become attached to my current family with my husband and my kids. Yeah. But um yeah, I think that's how it's influenced okay. me. Okay. Okay. I was pretty suburban. It was like an all-white community. I yeah. Yes. It is. It's kind of like, but you know, sometimes you find that, Kirsten. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm the oldest of six kids, yeah. I'm the only one who's gone travelling around and done my own thing. Everybody else, not a single one of my siblings, would get on a plane and go off and just have an adventure. And, they, they you know, it's, I mean, like a, a similar thing. You know, I'd... I will go home, and I mean, I'm close to my family, but it doesn't bother me that they all live in the UK, that London, and I'm in Vancouver, because it doesn't bother me, and and it was, it's kind of like, you know, like, even now, when I walk through the door, my mum will say, it probably takes about 10 minutes before my mum will say something like, don't you think it's about time you grew up now? Um, don't, don't you think it's about time you did? Like, my nep- my brothers and sisters have told me, not to have any deep conversations with my nephews and nieces because I say to them, they're saying to them, go to university, get your career, do this. And I'm saying to them, what makes your heart sore? What were you put here to do? What would you have to, what would I have to be able to give you to be able to go and do that? And they've said to me, we'd rather you didn't talk to the kids about your wild ideas. You know what? You would love the school my kids go to. You need to look it up. It's called the Acton, A-C-T-O-N yeah. Academy. Okay. I'll and look it's, it up. it's an entrepreneurial school. Right. And it's all about believing every child is a hero with a gift and talent that will change the world. And it's all about them discovering their talents and doing apprenticeships Wonderful. and quest to be able to thrive in life. There's no grades. There's no homework. It's very project-based. They work very hard, but it's completely outside of the box. And wow. I love it. Maybe I should interview them. Yeah. I haven't actually, heard of a school like that. Uh, the founder of it who's becoming, people are coming from all over the world to study okay. at the school. The kids go to. Um, his name is Jeff Sandifer. Right. I will ask you yeah. to introduce me to him, okay? Yeah. He's very, he's, yes, okay. you would only fit what you're looking for. <laughs> okay. So next question um, is, how is your enthusiasm drive and energy related to being a maverick well i mean absolutely i it's i believe so much in what i'm doing that it comes naturally you anytime someone asks me to talk about the company to talk about the women to tell the story i can't help but share it with enthusiasm because it comes from the core of what i believe to be important and what i'm passionate about so it is not forced no, <laughs> by any means. No. And, um, and yeah, I'm just, and if sometimes when I 
talk about the women, I can't help but get choked up because I know them so well firsthand. Like over the course of the last eight years, seeing some of their lives transform has just made it all the hard work so important and meaningful. And so I think the enthusiasm is just because it's working and and I don't want to give up and I believe so much in the core of what I'm doing. And And also I think (laughs) if, if we're wired a certain way, Kirsten, it's like yesterday. I was reading about these two. I was re- I, I try to look on the BBC news page because I'm so busy and grow. I'm so wrapped up in this. I forget the whole world out there at the minute. Mm-hmm. And I was reading about. I mean, you will understand this if nobody else on the planet does. And I was reading about these two young girls who got raped mm-hmm. in India. And what happens is they were from a low caste. They have got no in- indoor toilets, so the only way they can defecate is go out into the fields. Mm. So usually the mum goes out with them, yeah? But she had to help her husband with the animals or something. So she said, OK, you girls go quickly. And they got absconded by some men, and they were raped and then found hanging in a tree. And when the story was about how the father went to the police and the first thing they asked him was, what caste are you? And they took, you know, they ridiculed him for his caste. And now there's this whole thing going on about, mm. you know, because they weren't seen as, val- you know, of value. It didn't matter. And I completely empathise with what you're trying to do with these for these mm-hmm. women. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't matter... I always say to people, I'm not a feminist, but there's nothing wrong with asking for the same, you know, to be treated as a human being. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes what happens, and, I, you know, like in my family, it's kind of like, I grew up in an Indian household, and I can tell you now, okay, from personal experience, if one of my brothers was doing this, okay, mm-hmm. it would be, wow. Right. It's still, <laughs> it's still that whole thing about... Um, you know, it's kind of like if I do the same things as my brothers, they'd get patted on the back, and I'm told, "Why can't I learn to calm down?" Right, right. And it's happening. Yes, uh, and you can understand that. So I thought, yeah, yeah, but what's happening around the world that people are just, you know, putting their head and you know into a sandpit and ignoring i'm not on a soapbox or anything but there's there's women living in certain conditions and that's in that's in you know the third world in the in the mainstream we've got women who should be on boardrooms not getting into boardrooms because the guys can't handle it yeah which i've experienced yes yeah i think i think i at my core and one thing i haven't shared is that i always believe every woman is valuable and yeah. so many that have not been given the opportunity to know their value. And so to me, there's this beautiful connection when women in the West start wearing something that is story-driven design. It's a, something they feel beautiful in because they like it. It's well-made. It's mm. beautiful style. They want to wear it. And then because there's this added layer about how it was made and who made it, it directly brings dignity to that woman on the other exactly. side of the world. because. It's not a pity sale. It's they know that things are selling because there can be pride involved in and the products they're making because people love them and want them, and it's it's communicating that value back to them. So yes, they're earning money, getting access to education and healthcare, but they also know in deep inside 
that they're a part of getting to do something that isn't just a handout. It's meaningful and it's purposeful and that it's appreciated and, and that I sort of thing. That, and I love that part of what's happening. And I think one of the key things you said to me that I heard you say was that they're artisans. You know, that, that word doesn't get used frequently enough for somebody who's got a, a skill and a talent and an art. So I better get back to the interview. I'll be over here for two hours. Okay, right. How do you see rules? How do I see rules? Yeah. Uh, I don't, that's so funny. Nobody's ever asked me that. Um, I tend to be the person that kind of, like, as a person, I want to do the right thing, mm -hmm. but I don't like being told what to do. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? <laughs> so it's that funny balance of having, like, I actually have a very high set of morals and values, yeah. but I tend to not want to just follow the book okay. or anything. Yeah, that makes um, that makes complete sense. Okay. Right. Have you always taken a maverick approach to business? Like, I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to do it my way. Or was there a particular trigger that you that you went enough from now on? Yeah. I think what it was with Raven and Lily is that I had been a volunteer director for a lot of nonprofits, so right. I never paid anything. And um, had been taking people with me all over the world to get to see firsthand and volunteer firsthand with different, excuse me, nonprofits that I really believed in. So I loved organizing those kind of trips and then giving that opportunity so that there could be like long-term connections built between these nonprofits and people in the West. But um, well, tell me the question again. I want to make sure I answer it. Right. Have you always okay. taken a maverick approach to business or was there a particular yes. trigger? Okay, that was the question. So I think what happened was I was always introducing people to what other nonprofits were doing and so I believed in them. And I think the click for me was in 2007, mm -hmm. I took 10 people from Hollywood with me to India. Wow. And I wanted them to get to see firsthand the work that one group was doing in Mumbai to rescue minors out of the brothels. And then to, they were training them in skills and in rehab programs to try to rebuild their lives. And what was going to be their job if they've come out of being in yeah. forced prostitution and rape within that Indian culture, as you know, there was not going to be a lot of opportunity for them. They were ostracized from their families, disowned. Often those were the ones that sold them into slavery these were all girls from the lower caste. They really, once they reached 18 and were no longer minors that had to be protected in these homes after they were rescued, they had no opportunity but to go back to prostitution unless they were given a skill. And so that was kind of the first thing I saw when I visited that group with my Hollywood friends that these girls in this group had were being trained in joy making. And I saw that first, like, oh, this is a design-oriented skill. Yes. And, wow, what if I gave them some input on how to, what to do with these skills? You know, so it was the wheels were spinning. Then I took the group to northern India to work alongside my friend, Dr. Rita, that I've known for years. That um, is a, She's a doctor, but she chose to leave her position at a hospital and move into a slum area because there was no education or healthcare opportunities within the slum. And so over the course of the time that I knew her, she grew this tiny little school where she just squatted in the slum and started teaching uh, the children and training some of the women basic health care things to a school that now 
has 900 students. She has multiple women she's trained throughout the slum community that are like healthcare workers and she has a health clinic. And then she started on this trip, a micro enterprise training program. And we're teaching the women in sewing and block printing. So again, somebody that I had known and followed for years was also starting to think about training the women in the community and skills and to complement the healthcare and education initiatives she was seeing empowering the women, just like the other one that was rescuing the girls. I knew they had to be empowered with a skill My friend, Dr. Rita, knew these women need to be empowered with a skill and it happened to be designed. So my wheels were spinning again. Then the third nonprofit I took this group to visit was in the Himalayan Mountains. So it was village women. So one was minors rescued brothels. One was women from a slum community. And the third was women from remote Himalayan mountain villages that would have no opportunity normally. Um, And were in poverty, but were, you know, very traditional culturally. And again, what my friend um, Nivedit was doing was training the girls in sewing and was wanting to give them an opportunity and start these little sewing centers throughout the region so that that they could be employed to make things that she would sell for them. So each one of these groups was trying to sell things like to people locally and that sort of thing, but it wasn't sustainable. And that was where suddenly my love of design, which had been there and being an art director with my husband and a stylist and just enjoying design, I just love design, but it had never been my passion because it wasn't Beating what my heart wants yes. to do, which is empower the poor. This happened, didn't it? It emerged. Yeah. Okay. It was such a beautiful way that it just clicked. And that's when I came back. I couldn't sleep for weeks after that trip because I just kept wondering, what does this mean? What do I do with yeah. this? Like all these people I've known for years are now training these women in design skills. Like what could I do with this? How could I turn this into something that would complement their overall efforts Mm -hmm. to empower these whole communities to rise out of poverty if I could just focus on that second stage of giving them some design input and developing a market but that's where I started Raven Lily with those designers and took years as a nonprofit to figure out how would this work and what would it look like and then we started it as a social business but that was at that moment that clicked after that trip and I knew I was looking for somebody else like one of my designer friends okay I I have these connections with you I have these connections (laughs) overseas but um I didn't think I had the time to do it and I just it was one of those things that after a while and talking to my husband we just knew it was supposed to be me not being funny if it's I think your husband's right you know (laughs) it's like it's a little bit like you know lots of things happen and then you're like thinking well no other excuse my language no the fucking's gonna go and do it it's gotta be it's it's you with that it was nobody else could do it because there's nobody else that had connections to both sides nobody yes. else had that there's a it was an unusual combination I, w- I was literally sometimes volunteering with the homeless by day and then dressing rock stars at night you yes. know i mean i it was a weird combo of and it's it's kind of like interest yeah it's exactly you know it's it's really funny how the connect happens i was exactly the same i never fit in i was telling you about my mom and my mm-hmm. siblings you know and i never fit in and i started I started doing this project and about seven interviews in, everybody told me I couldn't do this okay. My mm. professors at university said, no, you can't do this yet. I went, watch me, because I'm one of those people, don't say can't. Because <laughs> that's, gonna, that's just like the wrong word to say to I me. Know, it gets you going, doesn't it? It does get me going. <laughs> so I think I was about seven interviews in, and I'm like a real tomboy. I'm not, I'm not a jewellery, but I don't really do anything, you know. Like, like, I'm not very girly in many shapes or forms. And um. I just stood in the sitting room, Kirsten, just with tears running down my eyes. And my boyfriend's like, are you okay? And I just went, 
I just realised that I'm not the only one like this. Mm-hmm. And he said, what? So, and then it, you know, expanded and then IBM came on board and they're like, we don't think anybody's done anything like this. We're really interested in your work. Shell Oil are like, can we fly you over? And I haven't even finished the work yet. Yeah. And I'm like, but the main thing was, the only way I can explain it, and if when I, when I get on Oprah, this will be what I will say, because everybody <laughs> says I'm going to end up on Oprah. I don't, well, I don't say I don't see it, but that's not what I'm about. Mm-hmm. Um... I would love to do this and, never, and not even have anybody know who I am, but somebody told me a long time ago, give up one up, girlfriend. Um, <laughs> so it, it was just a case of this loneliness and isolation of feeling that you were out of sync with everybody else on the planet. I kind of ended up, you know, being the kid who never fit in, somebody said to me, one of the, my mavericks actually, turned around and went, you actually... May, ended up making yourself the global expert on everybody who thinks differently. You don't actually realise what a marketable commodity you are at the moment. But that now when I think about it, it was really funny. I was interviewing the Catherine who, who wrote Pay It Forward. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed her. And, you know, I can't even begin to tell you what I get out of these interviews. I'll walk away from this and I will think about all the things you're saying because I'm going to be transcribing this for the next right. four days. So for four next four days, I'm going to do nothing but listen to your voice and absorb all this. <laughs> and one of the things she said to me was, I said, you know what? I said, it's almost like every shit thing that happened in my life because my life wasn't always so great, okay? Um, I've had some really tough times family-wise and... You know, between you and me, 20 years old, I was I was that Indian girl in the battered woman's hostel wondering mm-hmm. how I was going to piece all this together. And life, they were trying to push me into arranged marriages and I wasn't really, you know, I've, it's stuff people don't know. Right. And, um, and I remember saying to Catherine, do you know what, it almost feels like every... Every horrible thing that happened in my life had to happen for me to do what I'm doing today. She goes, and now you know why you're the person who's doing it. And that was like one of the most humbling moments for me to think. Because up till then, you look back on things, you think that was good, that wasn't so great, you know. They all form us who we are. And I feel like negative, the most tragic things that I've gone through, I can see how they've been redeemed for good. Yeah, Exactly the same. And I couldn't have put it better. Tragic things redeemed for good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you always a maverick or do you choose to be so at times and why? I think I more have to choose to just step out and step out and step back sometimes mm-hmm. in order to allow other people to thrive when it's their turn okay. or to leave when it's their turn. So, um, and, and honestly, with my husband also, I think because we're both strong. Yeah. So in our marriage, sometimes it's just allowing him to lead and, you know, us balance yeah. things out. Yeah. But then also, you know, sometimes if it's not my role to be in charge, it's like it's it's like a relief. Yeah. But it's also I recognize that sometimes I have to just take off that hat that sees a way to do it differently or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> be thinking about what I would say or do differently or how I would. But and just try to take in what this person has to bring or yeah. why they're doing what they're doing. And so it is, it's, I realize that I think it's always there. I'm always kind of wired to yeah. think about things like that, but I consciously choose to step back and let somebody else. Okay. So it's a conscious decision. times, not okay. within my company, but yeah. in, you know, other life circumstances. So. Yeah. Cause sometimes you, 
there was a woman I interviewed, you'll like this, because I'm telling you certain things, because I can't write them all down and send you an email after. Yeah, there was this woman I interviewed, yeah, and she was from a Muslim background, and Mm -hmm. she was saying that, you know, she's got this amazing idea, she's got a PhD in autism, she's she's designed this software, okay, that if somebody's using an app or something on the phone... Using facial recognition, they can tell you how happy somebody is with the product. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so interesting concepts. And she was saying to me that one of the things she has to do is, because she's a girl, when they go out to family events, she never talks about being the CEO of a company or anything because she has to let her husband shine. Oh, interesting. That was really interesting. Yeah, no, I think... uh... My husband and I, because it's just different times, like it's the appropriate time for him to be talking about his career or me to be talking about mine. And I'm, he's my biggest fan and I'm his biggest fan. So I yes. think it's, it's a funny combination. No, that's a wonderful combination. Yeah, I think we've learned how to make that work well and be there for each other and really have a like, you know, best friend relationship. Yeah, too. That's, that's us. But I mean, I think it's funny because around my other, my, my, sometimes my normal friends or family that aren't, don't really know what I'm doing. I, they don't really know much about what I do on a day-to-day basis or what I'm involved in. I always find that kind of interesting to yeah. be in those circumstances, you know? Yeah, yeah. So. Do you turn your... You've said about stepping back. So would I be right... One of the questions was, do you turn the dial up and down on the maverickism level? Um, I think yeah. you've kind of answered that, yeah? Yeah, okay. I think I have to when it's appropriate. I turn yeah. it... I turn it up or down. Okay. So when I need to, when I need to lead or need to be a spokesperson, I choose to step into that role more so. If okay. I'm, you know, needing to represent the whole company or make big decisions with like investors or you know big kind of things like that, and then in life in general, I turn it down when it's not involved directly with Raven and Lily or okay. um, you know necessary. So. You yeah. said you said right at the beginning that mavericks tend to like think outside the box. Okay, mm-hmm. so what are the advantages and disadvantages of being a maverick in business? Well, the advantages is I think if you are a maverick, then you have a vision and you're driving that vision forward, and and other people are catching that vision with you, and so that you're able to together see something succeed and profit and make an impact in the world in some regard so for me it's you know positive impact through empowering women through design but um i think tell me the question again i want to make sure the I answer question is, what are the advantages and disadvantages of being a maverick in business i think that's the advantage is the business would hopefully be more successful okay okay <laughs> the end because of that drive and that vision. Because what you have to remember is every, all businesses and CEOs have drive and vision, but what's the maverick bit? Yeah, well, for me, it's to make a difference and a change in the world. Right, okay. So I think when that happens, people come alongside you. And yes. so I think you, it's it's seeing that, con, that drive and that vision become contagious to others, right. which I see on a lot of my team members and people who discover our brand and, you know, PR-related things, investors, whatever it would be. The disadvantage um, would just be the choices that you have to make yeah, and, yeah. and how that maybe isn't always going to be what other people agree with or what they think is best for them. Okay. The choices that you make that are best for that the company and, and the overall 
direction you're heading. Has age and experience altered your maverick approach? And if so, how have you grown? I would say I've grown a lot because I did not, I, I say I've had on the job CEO training. Right. I did not go to an official MBA program. I didn't have the opportunity to do that because of being a mom with my husband as a filmmaker. We didn't have that kind of flexibility for me yes. to suddenly enroll in a program. So I, I have found that what the best way for me to grow and learn was to have these mentors that I've mentioned. And specifically, I went through an incubation um, accelerator program in 2013, uh, early part of 2013, and was matched with these business mentors in the Austin, Texas area. And some of them now are my board of directors and even investors in the company. Okay. But those people um, are the ones that Basically, in that through that kind of incubation program, I was able to still be running the program, take courses, meet with mentors, learn how to get investors at the whole shebang. I wanted to take this company. So they only they had hundreds of companies apply and they only picked five. Wow. It was one of the five they picked. And they all had to to be obviously companies that they believed would have some potential for success. Yeah. And um that I would say was, you know, really significant on helping me see what I was doing wrong, what I could do better, what I needed to grow in, what I need to learn, and was kind of a turning point for, for me okay. to, to have that kind of opportunity under my belt, gave me more confidence. So about a year ago is when I took the company to the next level and okay. started to pursue investors and to to know how to reach. I had the vision. And I knew where I wanted to go, but there was suddenly a gap on how to do it. Okay. Yeah. And and the inability for me to to have a huge amount of time, right? I couldn't put anything on pause. Yeah. And I was trying to see, oh, do I need to hire somebody with those skills to come on board? But none of that was working out. I couldn't find the right match or the right person. And so I realized it really does need to be me still at this stage. Like yeah. I really need okay. until we're at another stage and I could more clearly communicate what we're doing and where we're going and I could find the right person with the skill sets to maybe come in on an, an, an executive level to work with me. But at this point I hadn't found anybody. So the option was to, to get mentorship from okay. people. So that seemed to be the, really the, the, the changing point for me to just have the confidence and the know-how the next steps I wanted to take to grow the company. Okay. What aspects of your business are you most maverick in? So what do you do most unlike everybody else? Um, I would say that most other social businesses, when you're looking at the trans social business, they have one thing they focused on, like a one-to-one thing, like where Tom's shoes started with that one-to-one, um, you know, buy a pair of shoes, we give a pair to children, or yes. companies that maybe work with one artisan group and um, really gone deep with that artisan group and maybe done different designs. Nobody has wanted to do where I've done where just come alongside. I'm not going to own any of these groups. I want them to become sustainable businesses within their countries. I want to partner, come alongside, cheer them on, and help take their efforts to the next level of empowering the women in their community, developing high-quality, beautiful products that would be exclusive to Raven and Lily to achieve the goal of seeing the women and their families and communities transform and I wanted to see it happen all over the world, which I think goes back to my desire to always yeah. be involved in Think all these factors. So, like, feed something in me. I would get super bored if I was just working one country, okay. which is something I'm embarrassed about, but it's the truth. And yes. so I think 
I don't get bored with Raven and Lily because I can always expand. I can always start another partnership. I can always create another level of design. To me, there is not an end to what I could do with the company. It's limited by financing at this point and pretty much, you know, the scalability as we're growing with these artisans and wanting to not go too fast. So I think I've been very careful to like really understand where they're at and to grow as much as possible within what's realistic with the the groups I work with. And, but that's why I've actually started so many because I've learned that it's better to have multiple partnerships and nobody else I know was doing it this way to work with all these groups. They all have unique skills that they're offering. So nobody's competing with, with against each other within my um, company, but rather they're complementing each other. So one might be embroidery one might be screen printing. They're all working with different materials, recycled metals, but they all come under our branding and our look so that it's cohesive and can tell one story while within each design, it's specifically connecting to a unique woman. Is all all your products made by these artisans then, or do you have mainstream products as well? No, everything is is made by one of the women in our partnership. Okay, fair enough. And it all follows our um, fair trade, eco-friendly standards. Wonderful. What aspects of your business are you least maverick in? What do you do just like everybody else? Ew, wow. Board of director meetings and, you know, (laughs) pitches to investors and, you know, having to, I think the financial part is my least favorite part. Yeah. Absolutely necessary and really having to oversee the books and our finances and our cash flow and all of that um, is the least fun part of my job and the most you know necessary at this stage but um because I, I mean there's nobody else that can take on that responsibility yeah. when you're you know, young. it's really funny that's the top answer so boring yeah. <laughs> how do you i think you've answered this along the way but i have to ask you how do you balance being a maverick with home life well i'm honestly for us i have to be plugged in a lot because of you know what i do but when i wake up in the morning by practice, my husband and I try not to plug in until after the kids go to school. Mm-hmm. And then I focus my time between nine and three every day for when I'm available for meetings, working on finances, all that sort of thing. So my concentrated, like, available CEO time to other people is during that. And I actually pick up my kids from school every single day. My husband takes them and I pick them up wow. so that we're sharing that. And then um, if there's, you know, I travel and all that. So those are the big things and do interviews. So those things kind of work outside of that sometimes. But my husband and I try to unplug at six o'clock at night. So I'll still, even though with the kids from three to six, sometimes I'm still having to do phone calls or things like that, but they're doing their activities or their projects. And so we're kind of like, yeah. but once it's dinner time, we do family dinner. Right. And then after dinner, we're all unplugged and we spend time together as a family and then after we put the kids to bed, my husband and I spend time together. And so when we both have something else going on, we just communicate and say, you know, I need to work after we put the kids down tonight and we'll both do that. But we try not to make that an every night thing. We try okay. to just communicate and protect our time. And then when he's on a film set, it means he's working all the time and we don't see him and I'm holding down the fort more. And if I have to go visit an artisan group, then that means I'm gone and he's working all the time. And so we just help each other out in that way. And the kids kind of, kind of know the drill and they're a little bit older, you know, they're 10 and a half and 14. So 
it's not like having little children that require a lot more attention okay. or okay. they're okay. older. But that's how we do it. So we okay. kind of work together as a Brilliant. team in that regard. Is any part of being a maverick related to the legacy you want to leave behind? I mean, I, I think... I think it's it's funny because I'm not doing this because of how I want myself to look. I'm not driven by the image that I'm making. I'm driven by the impact and the influence Raven Lily makes in the world. I got that. So I I understand that and I've accepted kind of like what you mentioned that it was going to require me to be a front person mm. and going to require me telling the story, which I love doing. But that means I have to be okay with also being in the spotlight sometimes as a maverick. And so I've accepted that and worked through it because it felt like a conflict of interest, honestly, at the beginning, because it shouldn't be about a person when you're driven by a social cause, but sometimes it requires a person to communicate. Yes, you know something, you've said it so well because it's that's exactly the position I feel in because, like, you know, by the end of the year, I'll, I'll have interviewed 100 mavericks and I want it to be all about the mavericks. Mm-hmm. Not about, about me. The, I want to be about the brand and the women. Yeah. So, but, at the, but at the same time, we realise that we're the face of that. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So I've, I've accepted that. That's okay as long as when I'm the face of it, I'm not looking for my attention. So when you say leave a legacy, I just have my legacy is that I loved my family well and I loved other people well, and people know that whatever drove me was driven by a care for the world and care for other people. Honey, I've only been talking to you for an hour or so, and I think you've achieved that already. No, I think you've You don't know me very well. I never say anything I don't mean. I'm just sitting here completely humbled that I'm getting to spend, a, a, you know, an, a, nearly an hour and a half talking to this woman who's doing this. You know, I'm just kind of like, I get goosebumps thinking, how did I end up here getting to talk to these people, you know, who are just doing the things that most human beings wouldn't be brave enough to do. No, and, I... And they're not doing I, it for themselves. I can't wait to read your book one day because I think it'll be so fun to see all these stories come together you know, and all these people you've gotten to interview. You know, sometimes I think, how is it going to all happen? Because in some ways, all the stories won't go in. Right, I know. You Does that do- make sense? Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of... I will cross that bridge when I come to it. At the moment, this project, what it's about is about sharing with other human beings that it's okay to be a maverick. These are the challenges they face. This is what they're good at. This is why they do this. You know, it's those kind of key themes. And I'm trying to figure out how do I... But I have found a way of... I've already thought about how I'll do the stories, but I'll tell you that at the end. I think that you've, a lot of these questions, this you've answered, but how much of anything of being a maverick is related to give back or paying it forward? I had to ask you. Yeah, it's, yeah I think I've answered it, yeah. but the whole part of anything I do with Raven Lily is driven by that concept. Okay. Mavericks tend to be risk takers. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest risk you've taken in business to date? I, we had to be willing to personally guarantee everything to run this business. And I think um, working with so many women, if I feel a huge responsibility employing over a thousand women to do a good job, not just because of how it would affect my family personally, but because of how it affects them personally. And, and their so it's families. A risk to, to start something and not know what will work out when and how but to believe in it enough to take the steps forward 
knowing that there is a, the risk means there, it could be a huge loss if it doesn't work out, but it could also be the most life-giving gain. So it makes it worthwhile okay. to take that risk. And thus far, I've, it's absolutely been worth every sacrifice and risk that I've taken to okay. this point. How many projects have you undertaken in the past five years? We, so I actually haven't counted. I, I have attempted to work alongside many, many partnership groups all over the world and have several in development behind the scenes. But the actual current ones that worked out and that we're partnering with are about 13 groups okay. in the U.S., um, Cambodia, India, Ethiopia, Kenya, Pakistan, and then launching new ones in Malaysia and in Guatemala. And then within each country, like in India alone, I have four and a fifth one developing. And um, in Ethiopia, I have several. And in Kenya, I have four. So some countries, I have multiple groups. Okay. And what would you consider are the characteristics of a successful project? What Success according to... Mm-hmm. I I do an impact report with with the groups on a regular basis so that we can really assess what's working and what's not working and how the women's lives are being impacted. And to me, it's successful if the group on the ground is able to be profitable themselves right. and if the women are um, receiving wages that are giving them enough to be able to have the dignity to provide for their families okay. and send their children to school and have access to health care and also be affecting the way the community views women in general. Okay. So, um, we do give back from our sales as well, but I, at the beginning when I started Raven Lily, I gave back more but found that what the women were asking for was more work. And so we changed our model to put more money into the front of employing the women and making sure we were spending, paying the artisans a quality amount that would really provide them with the dignity to send their kids to school versus us sending back money at the end to fund scholarships. So it's been an interesting, you know, like really understanding what's working and not working. Every community is different. Every culture is different. The cost of living is different. So it's really working well in some communities and some we're trying to, we're still giving back because they still need extra support on the end. Yeah. And so it's that kind of ongoing conversation. And it's, and it's always that like one size doesn't fit all in this situation. Mm-hmm. At all. Okay. And yeah, I mean, and sometimes one of the countries hits a trauma or something happens. And so we just have to work with them. And so our, our company isn't at risk if one group has a struggle because I work with so many groups that they help balance each other out in the long run. And they're all connected together in a really good way. So when they're succeeding, everybody succeeds. And if one's struggling, the others have to pick up the slack. They don't necessarily know that's happening, but it's kind of just happening because the way all the women are connected through the company. So from the way you've described what success looks like, how many of the projects that are you doing are succeeding according to that definition? Well, so several of them we've just launched recently, so I, I don't feel that I would be able yeah. to answer that question for a while, but um, the ones that we've been working with the longest, like the one of our first ones in India, it works with a group of Muslim women in a conservative community, and those women normally, they were illiterate, and the girls never went to school, and the women rarely left their homes. Now the women feel famous because they know that women are wearing their products around the world. And they have 
pride as being a businesswoman. And last time I visited for Doze, who is one of the strong women leaders, who has several daughters, and the oldest daughters help run the business, and they train multiple other women in the jewelry making within their community. She told me that when women have girls in her community now, they no longer mourn but rejoice because they've seen the value of what girls can bring. Wow. Yeah. So to me, that is absolute success. Yeah. And I think the, yeah. They, they, they are not afraid to leave their homes anymore. They still have to you know, honor the traditional Muslim dress when they leave and be conservative, but they, they feel the confidence to leave yes. and go to Delhi even to source materials for our orders or whatever they need to do, which was would have been unheard of oh, a few God. years yeah, ago. Yeah, wonderful. So, Success yeah. can, be, can be seen in loads of different ways, can't it? And they're sending their girls to school. Yeah. And the women are part of literacy programs. And so I'm like, all these things are happening mm. now, which is just to me absolutely beautiful. Yeah. With, Without compromising their culture or their yeah. religious values, yeah. they're able to do it in a way that it's it's being respected and honored. And to me, that's what's successful. And the other example, I don't know, if you, do you want one more example? I don't mind you. You've okay. got the floor. So, I just like to listen. What I'm wearing is from the Maasai group in Kenya, and it's hand-beaded jewelry. And this Maasai group is really traditional. They're very tribal. They still live in mud and manure huts in very remote areas of Kenya. And I just visited them recently. These women are absolutely stunning and beautiful, and they are very committed to preserving their cultural values as a tribe. But the women have these beautiful skills and started receiving opportunity through the, um, the nonprofit and the company that we partnered with that asked us to help them with designs and to expand their efforts. So I said yes, and so we've been kind of growing what they started. But basically, they started giving those opportunities for the women to sell their jewelry. And because the women started earning income to sell the beaded jewelry, they were able to help fund a school, and they're the first generation to send girls to school in that whole region. And the leaders, um, like Nakaya, my wonderful Maasai elder friend, she and um, was able to stand up and say she was one of the ones that used to perform FGM on the women as part of their practice, and she was able to say we no longer should do this. This isn't value our girls. And she was able to help as a leader as because of the sale of the jewelry and the respect that they have been earning to say, we can still do ceremonies when girls enter womanhood, but it doesn't have to be the practice of FGM. And they've eradicated FGM from that region. So you know, two things have happened yeah, because like, of the sale of jewelry. And they major things. Do you know, it's really funny how life connects. I used to, in my previous life, <laughs> when I was teaching health, I used to go into the hospitals in East London and I would be the person who would um, do the talks on FGM. Oh, interesting. And the risks exactly. to girls and the implications. And so why it was. It's amazing that these women, they're still super tribal. Um, you know, they still follow. You know, they have like most of the Muslim men have multiple wives. You know, they're very traditional herders. So the culture is still being very Maasai, but within that culture, ways that they felt were necessary to be empower the women and protect the women have happened because they become little business owners. And, okay. little, and, you know, they do it in a very community. They don't like, they're not individualistic at all. They vote on how the money is used and they, they voted to send 50% of all of our order, the money we send for our orders to fund the teacher salaries of the school. Okay. And the other 50% is used as needed for food and school scholarships within the community to send the kids to school. So, I mean, it's amazing, you know, so I'm so proud of them. I think you're amazing. I mean, what you've achieved is kind of like, you know, flipping colossal. 
Well, you know, but I honestly, I feel like I can't take all the credit because I, I get to partner. You know, yeah, it's my partnership. Yeah. No, I get that. I get so that. It's, it's to me so much about seeing I believe in what this group started and what they're doing. And I want to be a part of helping them take that to the next level. So I guess you get to be a part of some beautiful work that's happening all over the world in these communities. Now, I've kind of sifted this out, but what did you do that makes the venture successful? What do you bring to the table? <laughs> um, I Well, I mean, I definitely lead the company as far as the decisions we make on the big scale of our budget, where we work, what our goals are. We opened our first store recently. We just moved to a distribution center two weeks ago when I hired teams. All those decisions are still largely run by me with the approval of our board of directors. But I also oversee the overall design direction of the company. So that's still really important to me because I love it. So I have a design team. We work with a lot of independent designers as well as a design manager on my team. But at the end of the day, I oversee our photo shoots and am the stylist on those because I love it. And I um, work with our designers about the theme and the direction we want to take with all of our artisan groups and what each collection will look like and where we're headed with the, the designs. But then they do all of taking kind of those big general ideas and then they start to create different collections with each group, and then they come back to me, and we work through it together. So it's I'm collaborative with the design process as well, which most people don't maybe realize because I am the CEO, but I'm, I'm definitely involved and connected to the design. And the whole store and studio was directed by me as far as the design of it because that's part of what I love. That's why I started the company. So yeah. it wasn't just – it was definitely the design part that was really intriguing to me as an outlet. For my creative side. Okay. When when you've got a venture, when you've had a project that's not been successful, according mm-hmm. to the definitions you've given, what do you consider the main reasons for their failure? Well, um, we actually have not been able to continue with some of our partnerships okay. because of that. So um, when they're very successful, and we're getting close to that on a few of our partnerships, I don't want to disclose which ones, I actually will roll off partnering with them. If they become to a point where it feels like we should be focusing our efforts on other emerging groups and they've risen to the occasion to where they can have access to plenty of other buyers now and that sort of thing, which is really exciting to me. Um, I think not successful, honestly, is if we have a contract with every group, it's a memo of understanding that we go through on a yearly basis of what Raven Lily is agreeing to commit to offering and what they agree to do on their end, which entails what they're doing for the women and how they're employing them. Okay. Um, you know, what the, the environment the women are in um, and how the whole families are connected, all of that. But it also is holding them responsible to be a viable business. They have to deliver on time, high quality products, be communicators and have a point person yeah. that yeah. is advocating for the women, but also the main person we talk to with production and design and all of that. And so if usually if that point person is not skilled or committed or focused that it fails so that point person is really really key who in sometimes it's a team of point people but usually we have like one director that's really important and if they are not able to deliver high quality on time we, we will give grace and do small orders when we launch a new partnership but there's a point where if they're not able to fulfill we have to agree it's not working and we have standards we work with them so to me i can't enable them to not be successful businesses on their end like okay. to me part of it is empowering them to be a successful business but if it's not happening 
we just communicate about why and and we've had to agree it's not working a few times with some of our friends. As a maverick, what are you afraid of? Oh, honestly, I mean, my biggest fear would be that if if it, you know, the whole thing was going to not work out one day, that would be (laughs) devastating in one sense. But I've also constantly recognized that my identity is not Raven and Lily and it's not in what I do. So that's giving me a piece about it to continue to just do the best that I can with the time and the talents that I'm given and, you know, really um, trusting the end result for me into God's hands and not to stress about all those details and to really know um, that I can only do so much with the, the, you know, the opportunity that I'm given and um, that my identity is not wrapped in this as much as I give of myself to it. It doesn't define who I am as a person. And that's really helped me to, to, to do what I do. Okay. You talked about the team a lot. How important is team to you as a maverick? It's very important to me. I um, I really love, I've always been a connector, and so I really love giving talented women, and my team's a lot of young women, the opportunity to use their skills and talents in a tangible way to make a difference in the world. So my team is made up of women that are really driven in whatever area they're a, a part of, but they have to absolutely be a team player. So we work a lot about how to collaborate and work well together, okay. support each okay. other, but really I want to empower them to just dream big within their own positions and to really, um, you know, thrive. Honestly, I mean, these women are young and talented. So I think they have so much room to grow themselves and um, to really, you know, rise the occasion and, and influence the company. So I'm looking for, for those kind of game changers that can be a part of what I'm doing. So at the end of the day, they're they're making it better because they're offering something that they're really skilled and good at that I'm not going to be as skilled and good at or don't have the time. I love having that variety of talents around me. It's inspiring to have them on and know, how, to work with. And how does being a maverick then approach your um, affect your approach to leadership? when mm. you're leading these teams because um, does a maverick lead the same as everybody else or does a maverick have an outside the box approach to leadership i definitely think there's an outside approach to leadership and i think in the context of what i'm doing i've read a lot about things but i'm also trying to pay attention to the uniqueness of my company and what works right. and so um i wish i had more time honestly because i would love to spend more one-on-one time with all the different women on my team but that's the one thing I don't have is more of my personal time. So I just do what I, I can to really um, look, you know, like I said, spend time, like do touch bases with them when I can see things are really going well to make sure they know that I appreciate them, that I think they're amazing what they're doing and to really push them in that direction. And if things are not working, to be honest and communicate and help them to be okay with admitting when they're struggling. Because yeah. I think that's important and that if they need help or to admit or be okay, we have to give constructive criticism about what they can do better and to be able to see these women um, accept that I think is important and to be able to receive criticism but then to be able to take it and become better at what they do it's been really encouraging to see some some women are able to do that and some are not and I'm trying to build a team of women that are are able to be players together and I honestly think I have to be collaborative I have to like I mentioned earlier receive input from the team and really work together so they feel that they have something they're contributing and they're part of the success of the company. And I think that's been really important to have them feel that kind of tangible connection to the greater whole of, of our success. Okay. 
How and where did you get your permission to be a maverick? <laughs> I have no idea how to answer that. I don't know. And did you give it to yourself? I think I just gave it to myself. <laughs> okay. I don't know that I got outside permission. I think I got the, you know, encouragement from my husband that I needed. Okay. And um, the affirmation from that initial design team that they would, I just needed some, a group to help bounce all these ideas off with the first year that we started this. And so I think having talented designer women to really collaborate with that would be willing to volunteer their time and their money and talents to see what could be was really vital to to helping me kind of sort through where okay. to take this idea. Is being a maverick related to creativity? I mean, in your case, it seems yeah. very much so, but... Yeah, I think it's been creative as far as our business model as well as with the products I put out there. So the creativity, and for me, the branding is absolutely like so important. I want the brand itself to stand out and to define itself so that people could almost say that looks like Raven and Lily. Like that's really important. Right, okay, okay. And so we actually started with the branding before anything else because the creative kind of approach was so entwined in the company. And um, and then, it, you know, I think where we landed at the business model also became a really creative approach. Right. And so I found that that's actually fed me in a funny way, even though my background wasn't initially in business. Finding, creating a creative, creatively, creative model for a company as well as having a creative-based company has been fulfilling on both ends. Um, and how is being a maverick related to innovation? It's kind of all connected. I don't know that one would exist without the other. Okay. It's really funny you should talk about a creative because I've just been, I've just emailed somebody yesterday who I'm going to be interviewing who's running um, a school for creative leadership, mm, which cool. is quite an interesting concept. Mavericks tend to be learners. Mm-hmm. What are you a student of? Well, I'm a student of a lot of different things. So when I'm trying to um, focus on the design part of what we do with our collections, I'm really trying to pay attention to, um, you know, really understanding the cultures we're working in, the materials women have access to, the skills they have, as well as the trends and the color forecasting and everything that goes on. And, you know, from what's happening in the world of fashion, as well as, what's going on within the communities and how those things come together to be unique to Raven and Lily, not necessarily following trends, but just being really aware of what's going on in the world of fashion, where things are headed. So um, I think, you know, that's been really important. And then I'm also a student of just what's going on in the world of social business. Anytime anything comes my way with a company or a book or an author, an article about, social business trends or what's happening I'm really interested in reading about what other people are doing you know, I was felt what, was really, what, what was really bizarre was I never planned to um I was just interviewing businesses it's been yeah. it's kind of taken I mean it's amazing how many of the last few interviews ended up being people who are trying to do social good out there as well which wasn't the intention it just went that way because yeah. of how it snowballed in do you draw on other mavericks in any way? Do I what? Do you draw upon other mavericks in any way? Oh, um, yes, I think um, a couple of my mentors, I would say, are mavericks. Okay. And one in particular, she's a successful designer. And so her model, her company is very different than mine. But she's definitely um, 
making a big impact with her company and a difference. And um, she's really amazing and wonderful and been a fantastic mentor. So I'm okay. really have valued her, her input. And then I think, um, you know, I've just paid attention to and, and tried to read about other innovators and, and Mavericks and what they're doing. And, you know, I, I get like Wire Magazine and Fast Company and other magazines. So I feel like I'm able to kind of stay in tune with what's going on in general, just even through some of these magazines and articles and online publications that yeah. are really up to date. Which is exactly this. how I found you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of really interesting things going on and I don't have a lot of time to, um, you know, do a extensive amount of research, but I really try to pay attention to the few resources that I think have some really great examples of what's going on in the business world today. Is there any so I, you know, sorry. I usually once somebody catches my attention, try to learn more. Okay. Is there anyone who's a maverick? Oh, go ahead. I didn't hear what you said. I'm sorry, Bill. Sorry, no worries. Is there anybody who's a maverick who inspires you? You know what? Who inspires me? Hmm. I think most of my inspiration, honestly, has come from, you know, people in the nonprofit world, to be okay. honest. Yeah. So I think that, so I think, because I'm not driven, I think a lot of Mavericks or people I know that are, are successful, they're, you know, doing something totally different. But at the end of the day, a lot of that is also driven by the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And so my drive is so much still connected to the social part of what I do that my inspiration usually comes from people in the nonprofit world. Okay. What, what <laughs> so, you, honestly, the women, I mean, so it's not necessarily other Mavericks, but I'm always intrigued and I enjoy it, but no, nobody comes to mind. That's fair enough. Uh, and not, not being funny, the kind of women you're dealing with, they are the Mavericks, aren't they? They really so, are. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm so proud of them and just feel like I get to represent the incredible strength and, you know, drive that they have to overcome incredible odds and so to me they're the absolute inspiration behind what I do what do you have to suffer and sacrifice because you're a maverick if anything I, I think you know extra time for friendships and free time for you know things I want to do I've I've chosen to use my time to spend with my family yeah. so you know that's been super valuable and I do have a few close good friends um you know life friends but I just don't have the ability to just hang out all the time. So that's been a choice that I've had to make, which has sometimes been hard. Um, and then um, I've had, I would say that I've had to learn to not be as open and vulnerable with as many people. And so by nature, I used to be super open and vulnerable, but it doesn't work out so well in this yeah. position. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And okay. so I've had to do that, which, you know, it's been a little hard. And I think, um, you know, it comes, I think when you're the leader of something, you're going to get positive and negative criticism. And that's always, you know, a challenge to work through and figure out how you want to respond to or what you want to learn from in, in that realm or also not look, look for just the positive, like not to be dependent upon affirmation from others, but also not to get derailed by criticism. So I think finding that balance and the sacrifice has been just, you know, I've just had to sacrifice a lot of personal comforts. Yeah. Knowing that in the end, it would be worthwhile. 
Okay. I think you've answered the next question, which is what motivates you as a maverick. So would I be right in saying it's the women and who you work with? Yes, absolutely. Okay. They're absolutely my motivator. And what's been increasingly surprising to me is that I'm also now motivated by seeing women can, customers empowered yes. to make a difference in the world with their purchasing power and how being connected to these stories and story-driven design and, and this whole new way of being responsible for knowing what you're wearing and how it's made and where it came from is changing their perspective on the world. And, and it, that's actually been really encouraging to see women empowered to, to rethink their own like lifestyle as a Westerner and how they spend their money. While you've been talking, one of the things that keeps, I tend to be very intuitive, one of the things that keeps jumping into my head is, is there a way of connecting these two? It's almost like a, a media campaign, yeah? A PR thing where, where there's a woman from the Maasai and there's a woman from New York mm-hmm. and they've kind of traded something. So like the women from the Maasai... Uh, giving them their jewellery, but almost like a photo of the two of them where one's wearing something from them, but the other one's given them something in return. And I don't know how it is, but uh, that's what I'm seeing because what, you, what you've described all along is there's, 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 a, there's a, even though they never meet these women, there's, yeah. a, there's a connect between these two women. And yeah. somehow, if there was a way of executing, a way of illustrating to the world the connect that these women have made, that would be amazing. That would be just something, it's just yeah. been going around in my head while I've been talking. It would. I, 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 Sorry? <laughs> you know, Billy, I just saw what time it was, and I have to take my daughter somewhere pretty soon. Right, so, so if I just bang through the last few questions, is yeah, that okay? Yeah, yeah, I just thought I just wanted to let you know. No, what I didn't do was I didn't slow you down. I know you were somebody who wanted to talk. It was, I don't want to say, look, like bang, 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 but we'll do the last few like that, if that's okay. okay. Right. So, is any part of being a maverick related to finding out who you are and what you're capable of? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I am, um, I found that I get a lot of energy and drive when I discover that I, I'm able to achieve something or accomplish something I hadn't done before okay. and see some of these dreams and visions be realized is absolutely rewarding and energizing and amazing. Do you like being a maverick? Yes, I do. I think it has its negative parts, but I, I also recognize that that's what I love being in, in this kind of role. I really enjoy it and love it. And you touched on this, but is being a maverick important or a responsibility in any way? I think differently, so I should do something in the world that makes an impact. Can you repeat the question? Yeah. Is being a maverick a responsibility or important in any way? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, I think for me it's absolutely tied to the responsibility of using the position and the opportunity I've been given with this company and with the investors and the stakeholders and my team and all these women to, to really be a part of making a positive difference in the world by empowering women through design. On a scale of one to 10, how okay. maverick are you? <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. Um, I actually wouldn't, I wouldn't know, but maybe, not compared to somebody else, but compared yeah, to me. yourself. 
probably because I don't like the financial end of things, I'm so much more driven about the other stuff. I'd probably say like an eight. Okay. Are you good? Excited about numbers and all those kinds of things. Okay. What advice would you give to someone who feels they're a maverick so that they could be the best possible maverick they could be? Um, I would, I would ask them to make sure that whatever is driving them, that they don't, you know, really, that they know where their identity is okay. and who they are, and you know that learning, learning, making mistakes is okay, and taking risks is absolutely necessary, and being able to listen to the input of others without feeling obligated to do what others say will be a part of the journey that is required to be successful in, in reaching your full potential. Okay. And if you could have a superhero power, what would it be? To fly. To fly. That's all the time. Right. I love birds so much. I absolutely and so I'm yes, going to send you something about joke. the like, eagle. If I could fly, I could go visit all these places around the world, and I could see from a bird's perspective. And, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous that I mean it. What, what would you like... To have been asked that I haven't asked you? Uh, let me think. If anything. Would I like to see the company in five years? That, well, do you know what? I've just left a one or two questions out. My, one question was, what's your biggest ambition now? Okay, yeah, that would be the only thing that I was going to say. So yeah. what would be the biggest? What would be your biggest? Um, my biggest... Ambition would honestly be that Raven and Lily would reach a point where it is sustainable and has grown to a point where it's kind of a known brand and it's had an, it's, it's like a really um, sustainable company that's known widely enough that it has an impact on culture yeah, in a yeah. really positive way. And um, at that point, maybe that means you know, because we have other storefronts or we're just selling, you know, widely online or something. But it, to me, if that happens, that just means that consumers and people in general are thinking differently about how they, just like we're thinking more about how we eat organically and yeah. farm to table movement, that our cultures in the West have started to think differently about their purchasing power in regards to fashion, that the ethical fashion movement, and we get to be a, a part of the forerunner of making an impact and um, seeing it grow to a level that it becomes more mainstream. Right. But what I'll do is I will connect you with some of these people that I think maybe you could have that conversation with. Um, just before you go, my game plan is to be the game changer for the game changers. It's about raising their profile. But have you seen the X-Men? Yeah. Right. They're the producer of yeah. the X-Men. Okay. Right. What I want to do before you go then you can think about it and if you've got time you can message you know skype me another time but i want to be the professor xavier of business mavericks mm -hmm. i want i think they're like the mutants they've got all these gifts but the world's <laughs> not ready for them but it's almost like but they're the ones that take if you weren't a maverick you would not be doing what you're doing for these women Mm -hmm. You'd be you'd be more interested in running a big fashion design company and making shed loads of money, but it's because you're a maverick. You're not like that, and a lot of the time, everybody's putting these people down because they won't conform and they're bucking the status quo. And what I want to do is, I want the world to see actually what what they do that enriches the world. Um, so that's my mission. So that's what I'm trying to do. Okay. So, um, if you can think of anybody. 
I mean, I'd love to include the Acton Academy because I've never heard yeah. of anything like that. But if you Once think you look up their website and if you think it looks intriguing to you, I'll send you a message. I'll introduce you to the founder. Okay, and if you can think of anybody else you know that is breaking the molds, I've been completely humbled to have spoken to you. You just made my day. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you and stay in touch. You're now part of the Maverick family. I'm going to I'll transcribe your interview and I'll send that to you as soon as I've finished, okay? Sounds wonderful. Thank Take you, care. Billy. Thank you for your time. Bye. Thanks.